As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Believe. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by CEO and team principal of Peretta Autosports, Beth Peretta. After forming a team that is 70% women, Beth talks about learning the business of racing, the mission of Peretta Autosports, earning respect, and so, so much more. This is an incredibly inspiring and incredibly fun episode, so let's get to it. Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. I have been so excited to talk to you about you and your journey. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here, too. Absolutely. So let's just jump right in. And if you can please take us through your professional journey and how you got to where you are today. Oh, it's such a long story. The older you get, the story's longer, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, it, my, you know, I've done some reflecting over the past couple of years because it's an, it's obvious, it's an obvious question of like, well, how did you get into this? Because I now own an IndyCar team. I own a professional racing team. And a lot of people in racing are often here because it was in their family, you know, they have sort of a family legacy or they're ex-racing drivers. And so there's some very obvious ways to get here. And I do not have that. So that is a very, um, a very obvious and and fair question to to kind of jump off from. And so when I look at how I got here, it feels in very ways like, like a like a winding road, but if but it actually in in some ways also makes perfect sense at the same time. I started as a fan as a kid, as a five year old, uh, watching racing on TV, reading car magazines. Um, anyone who like family and friends will always say that none of this surprises them ultimately because I was, you know, having as much as I'd have dolls to play with, I also had, you know, like matchbox cars, right? So mm-hmm. um it was kind of a thread in my life. Um and I realized the reason what I what I liked about watching racing, and again, this is even just like watching it on television television. I think as a kid, I um, gravitate gravitated to it because I found something like soothing about watching. Like if you're watching it, there's like a cadence to it, the rhythm. Obviously as a young kid, you're looking at like colors and numbers and then starting to connect to drivers' names and you kind of start you can be like an engaged viewer. And I think that's really the, the most basic way that it started. So the passion and interest was always there, but I didn't necessarily think of it as a career path. And it certainly wasn't a career path that was encouraged because it wasn't like our family's experience. Mm-hmm. So I just, I went a completely different way. I, I went to college for broadcasting and film. I have a degree in broadcasting and film. I thought I wanted to make documentaries. I um, 
then worked after after graduating, I worked actually in the outdoor ski business, but re- realized that I really loved business. Like as much as yes, mm-hmm. a lot of people do that because they like the skiing part. I did that as well. But I also found that it was, it uh, sparked my interest in just learning how business worked and from there decided, okay, well, let me get a graduate degree in business because I didn't take any business classes as an undergrad. It, it, you know, it didn't occur to me to. So here mm-hmm. I was working and I'm like, oh, this is interesting to me. This is something that I like or something that I'm good at or want to get better at. Get a business degree, a uh, graduate degree. Um, and coming out of grad school was like, all right, well, now what do I do? Because I'm not going to, I don't really want to make documentaries anymore. And I don't necessarily want to stay in this, this outdoor sports, uh, you know, ski business. What, you know, what else do I love? What else do I like? Um, and then that was that idea of like, well, let me just see what, what, what there is in automotive because I've been reading mm-hmm. car magazines since I'm a kid. Like, what does that mean? And I, I start my path to racing started on the, on the automotive side, working at first, believe it or not, at car dealerships. I took a job okay. at a car dealership selling cars, like literally freshly minted MBA ink is still dry, drying on it. And I walk into a car dealership and take a job selling cars because I wanted to learn how it all, how the whole business worked. And I thought, well, if I ever want to aspire to go beyond that, I need to kind of you know, get my foot in the door and just learn it. And from there, I started working for car companies. And then in the path of working for car companies, eventually worked also on the racing side of that for, with, with car companies. And that taught me the business of racing. Mm-hmm. And as I'm in the business of racing, I then see so much more that you could do with it. And I thought, okay. And also here I was a woman in it and there aren't many women, right? So I'm looking around the room, there aren't many of us. And then after, after a few years, you start to kind of get to know the other women and see that there's women in all, all these other roles. And so the, the business mind in me thinks, okay, well, let, racing is fantastic. I've loved it my whole life. It's this magical thing that car companies use and other people use. Um, our sponsors use because it's exciting. It grabs your attention, but kind of that idea of like, all right, now I have your attention. Let's talk about what we can do with it. Can we talk about, you know, non-traditional jobs for, for women? Can we talk about this? Can we talk about that? And, uh, I thought to myself, so, um, I, I'm not uh, purposely leaving these company names, uh, redacting the names to protect the innocent. Um, <laughs> the first car company I worked for was Volkswagen Group. So out of okay. the dealership, I was Volkswagen Group in finance. And then from Volkswagen Group, um, and that was, when I say group, I say that specifically because it's Volkswagen, Audi, Lamborghini, Bentley, Bugatti. And because okay. I was on the finance side, I did touch all of that, all of those brands. And then from there, I got a job with Aston Martin, and I, I worked for Aston Martin for almost five years um, doing operations. So okay. basically being that in, the in-between between the factory and the dealers in, uh, in North America for the eastern half of North America. And from that job, was recruited to join Fiat Chrysler. And while at Fiat Chrysler is where was my first real um, um, responsibility in racing. So I was um, running the marketing and operations for the performance division, which is called SRT. And so it was dealing with all the performance cars. And often what happens at big car companies is the, the performance group will usually also have a hand in racing because it's, it's there's a lot of crossover kind of and and the best and brightest go into into racing or at least cycle through maybe a tour of duty on the racing programs because racing is very unforgiving and it's mm-hmm. this wonderful like living lab and it's exciting and it's high profile but it really teaches you to 
be cross-disciplined and obviously you have to be competitive, but you have to, you have to be pretty good at what you do because if you're not, you know, we're going to get instant feedback that you're not, not, right. 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 And so that, so I saw that from the inside of like, okay, I see all of this opportunity and how much you could do with racing Mm -hmm. and I love it. So let's kind of solve the problem. So the ultimate irony of all of this is, so I create my team of mostly my, my, the whole purpose of my team, I, I resigned from Fiat Chrysler to, to start my own company, to start my own race team. Cause that seems sensible and stable, uh, as I look back at it, but, um, <laughs> I, but I, and I did it with this intention and initiative of, okay, let's show, let's get more women involved. The very mm-hmm. obvious low hanging fruit, but reality is I know that all the car companies and the suppliers and it's this exponential, you know, you, how many layers of, of industry need talent. You need engineering talent. And the way that you're going to get more talent is you, it, it's like just like anything. It's a law of averages. Let's put more in the funnel so that we have better talent. And we're investing in this like constant, like good talent pipeline. Well, how do we do that? Well, we have to start having the conversation younger and start capturing their imaginations and sparking that idea younger. Mm-hmm. to get, in fairness, I say women, but really women and men, let's get mm-hmm. you to be interested in something or realize why you're, what, what your interest can turn into and have that conversation. So that was the impetus, how I got, you know, how, what, what was driving me to put this whole thing together. And the irony, as I say, is like, now I'm trying to encourage kids to pursue what they're interested in, kind of figure also what their, where their intelligence, their type of intelligence sits. Cause we all know that, you know, some people might struggle in school, but it's because of the way the school framework is. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that absolutely that, right. There, there, there's no less than they're just all all are important and all, and they're just different. And so let's figure out what that difference is and just like, have you, you know, be a superstar in whatever category you're, you're a superstar in. But the irony is I actually have that engineer's brain and it's an engineering brain, but because, so should I be, I should be a race engineer. If you know the way that my brain works, the way that I solve problems, like that's exactly the brain I have. But it wasn't of it wasn't visible to me as a kid. I didn't have parents or adults in my world that had that experience that could mm-hmm. encourage it, identify it, and encourage it. Again, even I'm not not that I'm that old, but generationally too, you know, guidance counselors weren't saying, "Hey, like case in point, if I if there was still that period of time where like you could even be." maybe struggling a little bit in math. And instead of saying like, oh, let's get you a tutor and get you up to right. speed. It's like, when are you going to, you're not going to need this, you know? Right. <laughs> like, why right. would you pass? That was right? totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let you fall through the cracks because it really doesn't matter. Let's just get you to pass until the next, you know, into the next grade. And so the, the ultimate irony is that the kids that I'm trying to maybe lift up are probably me. It's probably who I was all along. And, and the way that my engineering brain manifested in solving problems, I'm just using business to solve the problems. But so that's like sort of the weird existential arc, but yeah, car fan, reading magazines, watching racing on TV, ultimately seeing this need as I'm in, in it, knee deep in it and said, okay, how, how do we build a better mousetrap? How do we solve this? And Yes, I say, yeah, we want to get more women in racing. Sure. But the reality is I'm hoping that, you know, maybe that 13 year old young girl is what young woman is watching at home and it sparks an interest and maybe she goes and gets a mechanical engineering degree or wants to become a mechanic. And I mean, Mm -hmm. for heaven's sake, she could be an airplane mechanic or, you know, a mechanical engineer could go and 
you know, work for SpaceX. You know, it, it's it's the it's the uh, hope that it's an impetus to like a lifelong kind of you know passion for someone else. So, like, can we talk a little bit about? I hope I'm phrasing this right, kind of the nitty gritty of what you're doing on a daily basis to spark oh, that interest, to get so more many kids spreadsheets. involved. <laughs> I'm sure Excel <laughs> is your best friend. <laughs> totally. And it's so funny because I'm so rudimentary with Excel. Uh, and there's a woman that I, I've hired, um, my, my friend Molly, who who helps me with accounting and will be having meetings where like we're sharing screen. She She's sharing her screen. She's zooming around in Excel and I just sit there like in awe. There's nothing, there's nothing more, you know, like I, I tip my hat to and all of you Excel aficionados out there. Bless. Um, right. Yeah. My, it's funny. My, we, we sort of joke like doing this for a living, I'll be honest, you know, working in racing, depending on what series you're in and professional racing, it is absolutely grueling in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously you're, you're working weekends, you're working yep. holiday weekends. Like this weekend, we're going to be racing at mid Ohio and it's 4th of July weekend. And, um, you know, we, we get in on Thursday and we leave sometimes Sunday night, sometimes Monday morning, depending on the schedule and what time of day the race is, depend, you know, how it kind of falls. And most of the race, racing timing is dictated by television schedules, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but the actual week, work week, I mean, right now I, I am absolutely working seven days a week, um, which is my own, like, I need to kind of get better about that, admittedly, because it's so easy to burn yourself out. I mean, and it's, it's two things. One is I still love it. And I I will say, even though I now work in the thing that I love, I haven't gotten burnt out on it. And I don't anticipate that I would, because, you know, there, there's, you know, racing is this weird thing. And most people in racing will tell you this. If you ever leave it, (laughs) you eventually come back. <laughs> it's like just when you thought you were out, they pull you back in. And Oh, my dad and I were just talking about that movie the other night. That's so yes, funny. <laughs> right? And there, there's such truth to it because the the added layer that we have, and, and everyone in racing will, I, I guarantee, will corroborate this, is it's absolutely a family. And I think a lot of that is because it is such long hours and – it, you have to love it to even think to do it, right? So like the way you're even going to start, you're not going to accidentally like fill out a, a you know, a, like see something on a jobs board and like fall, you have to kind of be, you're seeking it out to get yourself here anyway, right? So it's, you're not here by act, you're not here by coincidence. But because we, what we do is very intense, very competitive, um, these, you know, crazy schedules, and it's a crazy thing to do for a living. We all have this sort of kindred spirit among our, um, among each other throughout different paddocks. And so we're like an extended family. So it's the closest thing to running away and joining the circus. Mm -hmm. And there's a camaraderie that comes with that, that I think we all find uh, comforting. And that's probably half of what's bringing you know, the excitement of the actual thing we're doing and the actual race weekend. Yeah. And that, and we're all competitive and we're all type a, um, but I, I think it's that idea of also like feeling like you're belonging because you're with people that just have that shared drive and you feel, you know, you feel like you're among, you know, everyone's cut. There's like a simpatico thing that happens and there's something really like lovely about that. So the actual, my work week or my work day right now, we're doing a partial season. We're doing um, three to four races, but I have to be, as the owner of the team, I have to oversee the commercial side and the competition side. So I'm very mm-hmm. lucky that we, uh, we've forged a partnership with Ed Carpenter Racing, who runs full-time in the IndyCar season. Because if you want to be a new team in IndyCar, 
uh, and I would say this for many other professional series right now too, there's, there's, there, there are two ways to kind of get yourself in. One is if you buy an existing team. So if an existing team is looking to phase out for whatever reason, maybe, maybe the owner's retiring, they will put all their assets for sale. And oftentimes they'd like you to take on all of their people and their facilities because, of course, you then kind of keep it as a going concern. So you can buy an existing going concern. The other way, if you want to start from scratch... You could buy all the stuff and go it alone, but if you want to be a little bit more uh, pragmatic about it and sensible, you would do what I'm doing where you're starting slowly where you're renting some of the equipment. So you can buy some stuff, but you're often, it's a combination of buying and renting equipment and pe- people and expertise, and it allows you to scale up a little bit more um, carefully. Mm-hmm. And by having this technical alliance with this other team, uh, so this car, this team that I work with, Ed Carpenter, they have two full-time cars. Us being there for this handful of races, we're that third car. The benefit to them is they're getting, and I'm paying for that third car, so there's no risk mm-hmm. to them. So it gives them the ability to expand a little bit, get a little bigger footprint. But in racing, if you have that additional car, it gives you an extra data point. Because so that's why teams like to have multiple cars, because when you're trying to figure out what's the setup for this weekend that's going to work, if you've got three cars, literally on practice day, you'll often have setup A, B, and C, send all three drivers out for you know a few test laps and say, oh, you know what, setup B seems to be the one that's working the best. Let's move the other two closer to setup B. Like those are all valuable. Um, that's valuable. So um, that gives my technical partner value and it gives me value. I get to kind of um, uh, evolve slowly and they get to expand slowly and it winds up being mutually beneficial. So um, I oversee that competition side with them. So I have mm-hmm. you know, my my couple couple of week, you know, bi-weekly calls, actually not bi, but twice weekly calls or, or whatever with the crew to kind of go over some of the minutiae that we need to deal with on the technical side. And then the other side of the business is commercial race teams. We run on sponsorship dollars. So I have an agency that I work with that helps me, but for the most part, you know, um, I, obviously I'm involved in all of those conversations, but a lot of the stuff I'm also doing on, on my own. And then if deals kind of come to me, like, you know, then I'll bring my agency in to help me like with the, with the contract agreements. But, um, it's, what's different about a race team versus, as we say, stick and ball sports is mm-hmm. this, uh, we run on sponsorship because, but like literally the sponsorship dollars for us, we're laughing about this today. In fact, I'm raising money to literally pay for the cost of going racing. It's not mm-hmm. just like, cause I'm trying to, you know, buy myself a, a, you know, a new, um, you know, Lamborghini. It's, um, you know, the travel, the, the parts and pieces, all of, all of the consumables that, that go into making the car, you know, operate. And it's funny because like, if you're the Detroit Tigers, <laughs> you're not right. raising sponsorship because you need to buy more baseball bats. <laughs> right. <laughs> the right, actual right. cost of that over the year is probably pretty light. Um, like with all due to the Tigers, I don't know how much, I mean, how many bats do you go through? Yes. Um, I actually, I'm a huge baseball fan. I actually don't even know the answer. To that right. <laughs> I mean, I grew up a baseball fan and like, same thing, like the, and the joke is like, if you look at football or you look at, you know, basketball it's like okay there's one ball right you know whereas right. like my tire bill last year for the indy 500 my tire bill was seventy two thousand dollars for tires that's, i but see that's so interesting because i don't think people think about that and now it makes right. total sense when you say it 
And, and mind you, at you the end of the race, it. like all the tires go back to Firestone. Like you don't even get to keep anything. The, the right. engines, just to put it in perspective, the engines are leased, right? And there's the reason for that is because it's proprietary technology. And so there's two engine suppliers in IndyCar, Chevy and Honda. And, you know, a full year engine lease is, you know, it's a little over a million dollars to lease the engine. And in the Indy 500 is, you know, a couple hundred grand just for that. So the Indy 500, just to, to remind everybody, so, you know, we have our full season is like 17 events. If you're doing a, a full IndyCar season, it's like 17 races. One of those happens to be smack dab in the middle of the season is the Indy 500. It's kind of funny. It's like the only sport where like your marquee event is in the middle instead of it being like at the finale. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously the finale is a big deal because we do have our championship. And one thing that is fantastic about IndyCar is it's very, very competitive. And so like the championship really does go down to the last race and it has for like the past, I don't know, like 12, 13 years versus, okay. you know, be having like a super overdog where like by, you know, with three races left to go, you know, who's going to win. So you're like, ah, total yawn fest. That's not the case for us, which is, I think, awesome and makes for mm-hmm. good. It's, it's good television, you know, for Absolutely. lack of a better term. Um, but yeah, the money that we raise for sponsorship literally is funding. And the reason why, though, just to remind everybody, is so a race team, we don't have a home arena. Like we all go to the event and campaign the event and then we go to the next event. And But because we don't have a home arena, like my team doesn't, you know, we don't have like, a you know, our home field advantage per se. Right. I don't, we don't have like a cut of the ticket sales and the concession stand and all of that stuff that the Tigers, I keep saying the Tigers, even though I grew up a Red Sox fan. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you're the Boston Red Sox, you've got Fenway Park and Fenway Park is actually, a, a, you know, a huge revenue thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you, yes, you still spell, sell sponsorship because you could put a big Dunkin' Donuts sign, you know, out on top of the green monster. But um, that stuff winds up being... I don't want to say gravy because obviously they, they have huge salaries to pay. Um, but that's like the, that's the business nuts and bolts of, of what we do is it's the reason you see a big, you know, KiwiCo or, you know, whatever logo on the side of Dunkin' Donuts logo on the side of the car is because that's paying for the tires. (laughs) Right. Which makes, which totally makes sense. Right. That absolutely. And that's a constant you know, you never kind of rest on your laurels when it comes to raising money. Because, And ideally, when you find that partner who wants to partner with you, and there's a whole host of reasons why why companies sponsor. The obvious one, of course, is advertising. That's the, you know, the very um, black and white obvious uh, purpose. But there's, there's other reasons. There's uh, business to business opportunities. There's fan engagement, you know, especially if it's a consumer product, I'd like to get a consumer product in front of, you know, new audiences. But, um, that, those, um, those deals, ideally, when you do find a good partner, you hopefully you hope that that's going to last for, you know, many years, but sometimes their business needs change. And so then all of a sudden that one ends and you, you know, you bring a new one on. That's why you're kind of always, you're always looking for, for good partners who, who believe in you and what you're doing and, and want to support your team. So my job is both of those things. And that's a, that's a lot of responsibility for one person, but that is, is. I mean, I have people, obviously I have lovely people who work with me, but like, I I have to touch all of it. Yeah. Our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's basketball championship finals, the NHL hockey conference finals, major league baseball, 
the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. Absolutely, because, well, it's your it's your business, it's your baby, and I deal with that a lot with Fangirl, and people always say, do you have people that, that work for you and help you? And I say, yes, I have an incredible team, but at the end of the day, it's, it's my baby and it's my company, and I need yeah. to be touching it and making sure that we're doing things correctly right. and we're still relatively young as a company. Yeah. So all of that comes together. But I want to I mean, ultimately, ask, you're still the one that's going to be worrying about payroll because, you know, you're... Absolutely. Yeah, and it's I my mean, name on it, just correct. like it's your name on it. And so ultimately, that's yeah, that's a big responsibility. So you're 100% correct about all you get of that. It. I, do, I do. I do get it. But I, I'm glad that you you went into that and really explained that for our listeners. Because one of the things about this podcast is we want to highlight different areas that women can work in the industry. I mean, really, mm-hmm. women and men. It's true for everybody. But obviously, this is a, a more female-focused podcast because there aren't as many women in sports, and that's obviously changing. And we want to see that grow and grow and grow. Right. And one of the ways we can do that is to highlight all the different areas that people can work in. So exactly. I think for your area, it's not something that maybe many of our listeners know a lot about. And I want them to learn. And right. kind of with that in mind, I'd like to back up a little bit to when you did first start doing this. And as you said, there weren't a lot of women in racing. What challenges did you find at that time? What obstacles? Or did did you find that people were pretty open and welcomed you in with open arms? Or probably in I the th- middle. I think it's, it's a bit of both, right? Depending on, uh, on, uh, depending on the room that you're in. Um, and I want to say too, so I, a, a year ago, I uh, joined forces with, uh, it's funny to say joined forces, like I've, like I've got an army. Uh, with like Lynn St. James and who I'd known for years. And we, we started talking last year because, um, so, cause one of the things that I, I, from the very beginning, when I left the at Chrysler and started really wanting to look at, at this and creating my own team, one of the things, the thing that I was beating the drum about was exactly what you're saying is that, Hey, there are a lot of, um, a lot of things that women can do there. And respectfully, the, the other thing to, uh, to be clear about is there are women in racing. Mm-hmm. We all know each other kidding. Right. You know, we do. But my whole point was, uh, you know, the drivers obviously get a lot of attention, but it's, it's weird that it's the only sport because respectfully, this is a, you know, it's again, it's still a professional sport. The driver gets a lot of the attention. It's getting better now because you have things like the Netflix show drive to survive. And, and I think because a few of us have been sort of saying this out loud. So more, more people are kind of catching on and realizing the value of saying this out loud, but there has always been so much attention on the driver and that, you kind of, the, the layman kind of misses the the point that there are more people on the team than the driver. Now, obviously every driver knows how, how important all those other people are. But when I, and again, this is that business mind of my, of me that, of why I kind of was really started to say this part, this part out loud was those, again, if we want to get more women in, in general, and the other thing too, is like, not everybody wants to be a racing driver, like newsflash, like that, like right. respectfully, not everybody secretly wants to be a racing driver, you know, in actual fact, like it might not ever be appealing to you, but literally many of those other roles could be very appealing to you. And it's just that idea yes. of, of remembering there, everybody's different. Everybody has a different perspective, different experience. And 
those things can lend themselves. Like, you know, I, we have a, you know, there's a role called data acquisition engineer and that person is, is almost, I mean, they often can have a degree in information science. Um, and they are the ones that are making sure that all of our, um, all of the telemetry that we're getting off the car, like literally making sure all the software is working, let alone then let's get the information, let's analyze the information. But really like that, the person that's just the super, you know, kind of techie, tech geek, right? And and every team has to have that. And I say that lovingly, but every every team has to have that person. Every team mm-hmm. has to have a race engineer, a lot, and a lot of race engineers and a lot of mechanics are ex-drivers. But this idea, like I'm fond of saying like my race team in particular, like last year we had, there were 30 people on the team. That's commercial and competition altogether. 30 people. Okay. And is that One about of them is a standard? racing driver. 29 aren't. Is that, is and, that standard about to have about 30 yeah, people? If you want to have okay. commercial and competition. Okay. Yeah. If you're talking about like literally having like your office manager and your HR person and your, mm-hmm. you know, your, um, brand manager and marketing, you know, uh, mar- your sponsorship relationship person. Yeah, for sure. And again, because we have to be like this virtuous, uh, circle where the commercial side is funding the competition side and hopefully right. the competition side is doing well to like, you know, prop up why we want to have more commercial support. Um, yeah. If you want to count the whole team, that's about, that's probably, uh, that's, I'm, I'm probably a little heavy cause I had some, um, apprentices okay. shadowing mentors. So, uh, for an IndyCar team, you know, I'd say 25 to 30 for sure. Um, but last year, Lynn St. James and I started talking because of course, so she's an ex racing driver. She had, um, you know, she's been in the Indy 500 seven times. Um, I always love saying this little anecdote and because she's older now, it's easier to say this out loud. Um, cause I only learned this maybe two years ago and I don't think I realized it in real time. Um, her first Indy 500, she was 45 years old. Wow. And her last Indy 500, she was 53. Wow. Like, that's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, you know, in the 90s and early, you know, mid-90s, early 2000s. Um, but we uh, we were talking about, okay, what can we do to to kind of accelerate what's going on? And, and I said, as a, you know, there's all of these, quote unquote, programs to get women in racing and whether it's to get more women as drivers, this, that, the other. And a lot of these little kind of grassroots things around the country. And we, and I, I said, what if we try to aggregate at least best practices altogether? We don't want anything to, nothing needs to be homogenous because again, there's, there's so much, um, you know, motorsport is so broad because there's IndyCar, stock car, you know, open wheel stock car, drag racing, um, dirt, dirt track. I mean, let alone, then you get in like motorcycle two wheel, um, but all these different sports car racing, so many different disciplines, first of all, and mm-hmm. then all the different roles within within the different, you know, all the disciplines basically have the same roles. But, you know, mechanics, engineers, PR people, um, you know, journalists, uh, photographers, like all of those things are are you know, um, you know, again, you you start adding that all together, and there's this exponentially, you know, this large industry. It's an industry. Yeah. And that idea of like, let's lift the veil on what all these things are, because exactly that you want to be able to look at, you know, you want to be able to say to a young woman who's 18 years old, who said, Hey, you know what? I love racing. Well, mm-hmm. I'd love to be part of it. Great. What do you want to do? I don't know. Well, let me show you how many things there are, because genuinely you can have a 40 year career being a motorsport PR person or being a journalist or being a photographer or, uh, you know, being a gearbox mechanic. And that's a, you know, that's a thing. So anyway, uh, Lynn and I started talking about what if we, um, 
that's this idea of critical mass. Like we're all better together. And we created this thing called Women in Motorsport North America. And it literally is just a website to start uh, meant to be like a portal that like anything you want to find, you go to womeninmotorsportna.com. Okay. And we're trying to aggregate schools. Like let's, let's, let's have a list of, you know, okay, you want to become a mechanic here. Here are some places where you can go to school. There's another thing called the Tech Force Foundation, which we're linked to as well. And that that has for years been doing the same thing to try to get um, technicians for automotive dealerships. But, you know, sometimes you do that and you're like, you know what, I'd really like to be a racing mechanic. Okay, well then they can only take you so far. Now, where are the resources of how to become a, how to become mechanic on a, you know, on a NASCAR cup team? Like, what does that mean? And, and where do I start? Let alone, I want to be on the pit crew and all of that. So, or... To, again, there's all, also the um, the facilities. What if you want to be the general manager of Daytona International Speedway? That's a okay. job. Yeah. Yep. That, and that probably is, I got, I bet that is a fascinating job. Right? That's just logistics. I mean, huge logistics. You're hosting how many, like a hundred, a couple hundred, well, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you know, for the Indy 500, it's 300,000 people. So three, you know, you're hosting 300,000 people on a day in May. How do you get them in and out in a, you know, orderly mm-hmm. way? Well, they've been doing mm-hmm. it 110 years. They're pretty slick at it. Yeah, they are. But that is, but that is a job. I think but that's, that's awesome that 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 website exists, though, because women it does... in motorsport North America. And we're just it just started, right? So we launched it. I want to say I forget when we actually launched it. Maybe March is when it went live. So it's okay. still a, a work in progress and a living, breathing thing. And um, ideally, it's, we're going to have job postings and mentors. We're going to be starting doing some virtual mentorship where, but again, like the where the mentoring is going to start to go like into more minutia. So that if you if you want to be a mechanic, we're going to have a mechanic talking to a mechanic, like a mechanic who's the guest and a mechanic who's like the moderator. So they can have a very in-depth conversation very much in that channel. Okay. And as yeah, just a free thing, you can l- listen to what they're saying and, and to talk about like, well, what are the challenges as a woman? Cause you asked me the question, like, what are the challenges? Mm-hmm. I think in general, um, throughout my automotive career too, if you know your stuff, then you're respected. You know, if mm-hmm. you work hard and you know your stuff, I think a lot of the old tropes are, you know, better than they used to be. I think obviously there's a generational thing. You're still going to come across, not to stereotype, but you're going to come across maybe some older folks that have a harder time (laughs) of understanding why you're there. Um, But if you're, if you're capable of doing the job, you know, that stuff kind of erodes, especially in racing, because it's all about like, you know, are you good? Can you do this fast? Can you do this? Well, great. We, you know, I don't care if you have purple stripes, you know, you're, Mm -hmm. we'll we'll take you. Well, and that's true. I mean, that's something that comes up a lot on this podcast for, for, you know, women in sports. And we've talked a lot about, you know, how do we deal with social media? How do we deal with the things people say? And at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, and this is true really of anyone in any profession, if you know your stuff and you work hard, you will be respected. That's just, that's just the reality of, of life and, and any job. But something that comes up a lot for, for women in sports, especially when we have media members and journalists on is, you know, we we don't get the same chance to make a mistake. You know, we, if we make a mistake or we say it wrong, then the girl doesn't know what she's talking about, but it, Uh and that's really hard, but it's so it's a matter of knowing yourself and being prepared. But I think with what you're talking about and, and especially in your portion of the industry, but that's probably true of anyone in the industry. If you know your stuff and you work hard, you, you can earn respect. Respect is there to be earned and you have to earn it. Um, if I could just say two quick things about that. Number one, um, about uh, like what's, what's ex- you know, 
I, th- I think there's about, you know, if we do something wrong, it's because we're women. And um, I will say that, you know, last year when we were in the Indy 500, um, you know, everybody was waiting to see how we would do our pit stops because I had, I had, it was the first time. So our, our team is historic because first time in 110 years, you know, the Indy 500 started in 1911. So last year was 110th anniversary. It was 105th running because, but it was the 110th anniversary of when it started. And it was the first time in 110 years you had this majority women's team. Okay. Uh, funny thing is women weren't allowed in the, in, in the paddock area, in the garages in, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway until 1971. Uh, and the first women who wow. were finally allowed were journalists. Until 1971? 71, which... It does, it's for, a long time ago, but it doesn't but, feel that long ago at the same time. Exactly. But so here's the crazy thing is it doesn't feel that long ago. But then I realized 1971 to 2021 was 50 years. 50 goddamn years, if I may. And... I guarantee you that when they were first letting women into the paddock, you know that there were people like, oh, what's next? Like, it's a slippery slope, letting women in the paddock. Don't worry, buddy. It took 50 years for us to have this majority women's team. And mm-hmm. as I'm fond of saying, like, because a lot of times people will say, describe our team, be like, oh, Beth, Preta, you have this all women's team. And I'm like, whoa, 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 it's not all women. Like, that's not, that's not what we are. And it's not what we aspire to be. Because I will say there have been other race teams that throw around that we're all women, but then it's like, it's a, a women's driving lineup. Okay. Because like sports car, they'll have like shared, shared, like, oh, it's an all women's team. It's like, well, I could see the guy working on the car. Like, that's definitely a guy. And like the guy that's driving the truck. And then like, so I just, right, right. I just don't like hyperbole because there's no need for it. Like, like right. what you're doing is an achievement, like celebrate the actual treat to achievement. No need to freaking, you know, um, puff yourself up because you're, what you're actually doing is great. So please embrace that. But that, that, that's just my opinion. And you know, who, who cares, but who well, cares care. what my opinion is? Um, we all care. Everybody it. listening cares. <laughs> Hopefully please yeah. click, click on the link in bio. Uh, so, uh, but the, but the point being that, um, you know, us being a co-ed team is important. And one thing that I often say is I don't want to be a hundred percent. I don't want my team to be a hundred percent women. I want women on a hundred percent of the teams. Mm-hmm. And when I say women too, it's like, I just want your team to be mixed with the best people. And the whole point is take a chance on somebody that maybe doesn't look like you. And if somebody is, has the aptitude and interest and, you know, the ability to be taught, you know, hire them and, and that cross, um, you know, that, that, that blended team is probably going to be stronger and better for it. But the point that you're saying though, about, um, I think what, so when we did the Indy 500 last year, there was this expectation or this, we were a curiosity. Could we do it? Could these women actually change tires as fast as the guys? And of course we proved that we could. And what I love about that is you can't fake that. Like it, we're either, we learned, they learned how to do it. They, we trained them and they learned how to do it. And they started from scratch. I hired these women February 1st. They trained every morning only for like, you know, literally an hour and a half a day for three and a half months, like four days a week. And they, they learned how to pit a car in the Indy 500 and they did it successfully. But I will admit that, you know, there were a couple of times like during practice and stuff where, you know, if the, you make a little bobble and you drop a, drop the air gun or you do this or you do that normal stuff that happens in any race, you know that we had that added attention of if we drop the gun, is it because we're women? You know, mm-hmm. if if we had a you know a mix up a, a mistake in the pits, there's this added asterisk. Whereas like the Andretti team next to us could have made the same mistake, and and it's just kind of like you know kind of sloughed off. So we were aware of that, and that does add pressure. But I will say, I think oftentimes 
women also are guilty of holding ourselves back. Like we carry that as a burden, maybe more. And we kind of like work ourselves into our own little, like, you know, frenzy over it. Mm -hmm. So there's an element of, we have that attention, but I think that just the more that we're visible and, and listen, if we do drop the gun, you just have to like, look, you know, when, when the TV commentator comes up and like, what did you do there? Like I dropped the gun and just like, keep moving on. Like, I think we almost carry it enough ourselves versus, I don't know if the audience is, is thinking it as much as we might think it even in our own heads of, Oh God, they're going to think this of me. Right. Versus is that actually true? And I don't, I don't know. So that's point one, but point two is you're absolutely right about, we're also held to a higher standard. It's like that ginger, you know, the quote, uh, ginger Rogers had to do everything Fred Astaire did, but backwards and in heels. Right. And Simona De Silvestre, who's our driver. And I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago and she was in the IndyCar series and she left to go for this F1 opportunity that then didn't materialize. And then she was kind of bouncing around, which happens with a lot of drivers where, you know, you, you get a deal and you're there for like a year. And then for no reason of yours, like the, the deal changes or it erodes because like a sponsor dries up, has nothing. You know, there are some drivers that have had bad luck in their careers. Um, but it was hard for her to come back to IndyCar. Like people, like the people, you know, weren't, weren't like giving her other chances. And, and again, she's, she's not alone. There's many stories like this, but when she was in IndyCar last there, if you look at where she finished in the standings, her last full year, she finished ahead of a few different guys okay. who then got the nod to be on other large teams. They've been here the whole time. They have, it's okay if they have a bad season. I mean, yeah, they get beaten up a little bit in the press or whatever, but they're not thrown away. It's often like we get one chance. And if God help you, if you had a bumpy day, because mm -hmm. if you have a, if, if women have a bumpy day, it's, well, should you really be here versus right. you just had a bumpy day, but there's a lot of guys that are kind of cookie cutter and, you know, we all know what they look like who get a lot of chances. And mm -hmm. it's an interesting thing. And it's certainly easier for me to say that than a, a woman driver to say that because if they right. say it, they're complaining because heaven forbid we complain. Right. You know, but, but it, that's the stuff where it manifests and respectfully, okay, I came up, you know, this executive track, does that happen as much with us? Nah, no, but you know, sometimes, and again, and maybe there's a bit of that also, like I say, where we carry it ourselves, like, oh God, I, I have to always give 150% because if I give 90%, you're going to think that I'm deficient because I'm a lady, you know? Right. No, it's true. That's, I think every generation, true. it gets better though. I mean, you know, hopefully we're raising kids now coming up and, you know, maybe Gen Z, they're so used to seeing men and women maybe more equally. I'm hoping that maybe every generation this just gets a little bit more diluted. I don't know. What do you think? I do think every generation it gets better and becomes more and more the norm. And it's just, it's a matter of time. I think we still have a long way to go and there are still many strides that we are going to have to make for so many things uh, dealing with women in our lives and, and an industry and all around. But I do agree that in terms of what we're talking about right now, with every generation, it does it gets get a little better. better and better. Yeah. And, you know, I cover an NFL football team and I'm in an NFL locker room and I have not experienced, you know, players or people looking at me 
without, yeah. with less respect because I'm a woman or thinking I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm right. a woman. So I imagine that that was not the case 20 years ago, maybe even right. 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. So yeah, right. I do think it is, it is getting better and better. And to that point, like the reason I'm, uh, the reason why I started a team and why we're doing what we're doing, because I even had somebody that say to me, like, you know, it's 2022, like, do we really still need a team like yours? And I said, okay, I hear you. And I, and I, I understand why you think that, you know, but, um, we do because a lot of it's just the visual representation. And again, Mm -hmm. because I'm also doing something a little bit different. Like it's not about, I'm trying to prove, you know, trying to force the fact that there should be women on the teams. I'm trying to encourage that kid, right? So that's a very different, like it's a different, very different prospect. And you know, it's been a most amazing in the past, you know, year and a half that this has been very public and we're we're out there is how many, in fact, just even when we were at Road America a couple of weeks ago, how many men came up to me to thank me? With their mm-hmm. daughters, like their seven-year-old daughter, or just in general, like two guys. That's like one guy is like, you know, I've got a three. Like they didn't have their kids with him. Like one, he's like, I've got a three-year-old, and he points to his buddy. He's like, he's got a daughter on the way. Like his first child, you know, his you know daughter mm-hmm. on the way. He's like, I'm about to be a girl dad, and they they just said they're like, thank you for what you're doing. And I was, and honestly, I think in some ways that almost moves me more that mm-hmm. that that they appreciate it, you know for for all the the good reasons and then the other thing that has been so sweet is last year especially uh i got a lot of it early on um right before the race and after the indy 500 uh like the month leading up and and the several weeks after from dads and grand and grandfathers that that sent me notes that like my granddaughter watched the race you know my my 12 year old granddaughter sat and watched the race with me and like how joyful that guy was that his daughter or his granddaughter sat and watched with him because all, you know, they're, they've been lifelong race fans. All they want to do is share it with their, with their daughter and granddaughter and the, oh, know, the, they, awesome. the daughter or granddaughter like never paid attention because it, it didn't feel like it was for her. And if it gave them a reason to watch, because listen, ultimately, yeah, if we can get more viewers, it helps the sport too. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the commercial reality. And the, the, those, those little notes always just make me smile because th- it's making them happy. And that's I mean, fantastic. all a race fan wants is other race fans, <laughs> other people yeah. that like it as much as we do. So like when they, when I, I see that, I'm like, oh, like that warms my heart. That's awesome. And I think that's true of fans of anything. You know, we all want everybody to love what we love love as part of the shared experience. So, well, before we get to day in the life, I would love, and I actually don't know that I've ever asked anybody this on the podcast before, but I think it makes sense here. If you could put together or would say a mission statement for Peretta Autosport, what would you say it is? We actually have a mission statement. Should I cheat and go look it up? I can't remember. Absolutely, it off the top of I would head. love for you. I would love for you. To, I mean, I, I assumed you did, but yeah. I would absolutely love for you to go take a quick look and and recite it. But also, would be interested maybe just to know what your personal mission statement is for it. So the mission statement, or or yeah, kind of this is the mission statement for our team at Peretta Autosport. The competitive spirit drives us. We work hard and always strive for better for ourselves, for our team, and for others. And then, you know, it's funny. I also wrote the Women in Motorsport North America mission statement. And I actually think that turned out really well. Women in Motorsport North America is a community of professionals devoted to supporting opportunities for women across all disciplines of motorsport by creating an inclusive, resourceful environment to foster mentorship, 
advocacy, education, and growth, thereby ensuring the continued strength and successful future of our sport. Fantastic. I love them both. I really right? do. I think they're fantastic. Really they have little different, different work. little North stars. They are, but I, I love it. Well, before we get to five fun facts, I would love if you could take us through a day in the life of Beth Peretta. And normally I let the guests choose, but I think it'd be really interesting to hear a day in the life of a race day. That's what I was saying. I mean, you know, a Wednesday is very different than, um, than a Sunday. Let's do a race day. A race day. Okay. So uh, I usually awake in a, a very uh, questionable hotel because they're usually in, you know, racetracks are often in rural places and there's not a lot of hotels. So um, yeah, I, I put on my little uniform and I always laugh at the fact that I'm this age and I'm putting on a little uniform, but I do. And, uh, you know, get to the track about, you know, seven, seven thirty. again, depending on what the schedule of the day is, but get there early, say hello to everybody. Uh, depending on how the day shakes out, um, there's always a little bit of media in the morning. Um, and really it's, the bulk of my morning is, you know, making sure if we have sponsor guests or, you know, friends of the team, making sure everybody's, you know, happy, things are, things are going well. Um, sometime, you know, a little tour of our garage area to some of those uh, VIP guests, but I'm mostly, um, you know, a little bit of a talk back and forth with Simona, making sure that her headspace is is good, making sure that uh, checking on what the strategy is going to be for 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 the race, and then when it gets to be about race time, um, I find myself in pit lane. I'm putting on my radios. Uh, mm-hmm. I am f- usually walking halfway to pit lane and realizing that I forgot my little belt that holds my radios. And so then I, I curse and then I have to go back (laughs) to the garage area to my bag, the transporter to, um, to go get my belt. And the whole time I'm like, you're an idiot. How many races have you been to? And I'm having that dialogue out loud, like you freaking fool, you know, you'd have (laughs) to put your radios on and now you're going to be running down pit lane and now you're going to be like all hurried. But like, that's, so if you're, I say this to anyone, if you're at a race, watch for that. Cause you'll <laughs> like clockwork, you'll see it. Um, so then, yeah, I, I get, you know, down to the pit area. Um, really my job during the race, as I like to say, is to kind of stay out of the way. Ultimate decisions sit with me if it's like a retirement or that, um, like last year in the, in the Indy 500, we retired with 30 laps to go. And, uh, because we had a mechanical, we actually, uh, we had a mechanical issue that caused, a, um, Simona to, to spin, hit pit wall and, and break a suspension arm, but we were actually going to replace it quickly and send her back out so she could finish the race under green. But okay. as she was sitting there, um, while they were scrambling to replace the part, um, another car came in with, without any, uh, was coming in too fast, didn't have brake pressure and almost hit us, uh, which can oh happen, right? Cause pit lane can be kind of, can be, I mean, very dangerous. And, um, the strategist looked me in the eye and he's like, and we just kind of both like kind of our eyes got big. And I said, I just, you know, went on the radio and I said, we're not, I said, I don't want her to be a sitting duck or, you know, I don't want the team to get hurt. Like, just call it like we're, we're done. Like, you know, call it. And those, those ultimate decisions always sit with me, but otherwise I don't really say much on the radio. I listen to everything. Like even at road America, there was something that, that they, you know, I, I was hearing something that race control was saying that, that the, um, the strategist and the race engineer didn't really hear. Cause some, cause in fairness, so just so you see, like, um, a couple of us are wearing, you know, we, we've got two radios on. So what I'm listening to 
during the race. So I'm standing there and the whole time, uh, we're, we're basically staring at laptop screens and different computer screens and we're looking at the telemetry of the car. So we can see, you know, uh, obviously fuel load, brake temperature, water temperature, um, you know, uh, there, everything like the, t- the tachometer, we could see, you know, what gear Simona is in. We could see the balance of the car. There's different tools and adjustments on the car. We can see all of that. We can see exactly what's on her steering wheel. Um, a, l- a lot of different, you know, a lot of different things. And we're kind of keeping a broad eye on all of those things. And when I say we are, they are, I'm looking at it and I know, you know, I know, I know what I'm looking at, but, um, not enough to, um, to, uh, offer any advice quite yet. Um, but I can hear Simona and we also have a spotter. So I hear that dialogue. I hear everyone on the timing stand is having a conversation. We hear that. And then I also hear the crew. And then, um, because we'll talk to the crew when we, like, if we know she's coming in for a pit stop, we will tell the crew, okay, you're going to make this adjustment. You know, we're going to take four tires, this much fuel, and you're going to make this adjustment on, you know, on the front wing and give that direction to the car chief. The car chief then is going to give that direction to the rest of the crew so that they know kind of what's on order when the car comes in. So I, I'm hearing all of that. And as you can imagine, because there's so much going on, not that people talk over you. Yeah. People kind of sometimes talk over each other, but sometimes little things can get missed. So, um, you know, I otherwise stay quietly, but if I do, if I'm catching that some people are missing like a cue or something from, I, I should say too, the other thing we hear is race control. So race control will tell us if there's a penalty of, of any car, it, they, you know, they're obviously telling us when there's yellow flags, red flags, and kind of those sorts of things. Um, but otherwise my goal during the race is just to sort of stay out of the way and, um, you know, support ever, however I can, but, uh, I sometimes I like to feel like less is more. Mm-hmm. And then after the race is done, um, ideally, you know, someday that would be, that would include a champagne bath. Cause I haven't had one of those in a while, but we'd love okay. a champagne bath that, you know, when it's come, falling from the sky, ideally when you throw it up and spray everybody. Um, but, uh, then it's just, you know, the catching up on any loose ends and then, uh, sometimes getting in the car and rushing to the airport or uh, getting in the car and rushing back to that terrible hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a good colleague of mine um, who I used to work with at Fiat Chrysler. Used to, uh, and he still says to this day, it's the rich pageantry of racing. It's, you know, it's the the long Thursday nights and the and the this that you don't see that. And again, none of this is complaining because as I to bring us back to the start, we all do it because we love it. And you couldn't. You couldn't tolerate all those long days and all that time on your feet if you didn't absolutely love doing this and love being part of it, always pushing yourself, always wanting a win, always wanting to do better than last week. You know, people like a proper racer will say like, you know, what's, what's your favorite race? The next one, you know, and we're all Mm kind of wired that way. Um, And there's something very nice about that too, because it, I think it also makes you have to like you're always looking forward. The one thing that obviously that could be a critical problem too, is if you're always looking forward, you sometimes never take stock of the progress that you've made or the, to celebrate the wins that you have. And I think some, some people I've worked with over the years or some teams I've worked with maybe are not, um, don't let themselves celebrate wins maybe as much as it, w- it would, you know, 
again, in my opinion, be nice if they would allow themselves a little bit more of their own sunshine a little bit, right? There's about mm-hmm. a healthy balance. Um, there's a lot of people that I know who are absolute superstars in the business. And I don't think they even fully knew how much of a superstar they were while they were a superstar. And I don't mean mm-hmm. that like, not that you want something to go to their head, but I don't think that they realized how they impacted fans and how right. fans looked up to them. Um, and you, you see some that don't appreciate Yeah. Like they say that they appreciate that fans are looking up to them, but they might not take that extra second to sign someone's shirt. And you see that from afar and you're like, Oh, it's really not that hard to sign the shirt. And I get it. You don't, sometimes you can't sign a thousand shirts because you've got to get to, you know, something. And I, I appreciate that, but the signing of the shirt is what's paying your salary. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, so that's, that's, that's my day is really just, uh, making sure that everybody feels supported. Everybody's happy, bad hotels, usually some subject, you know, some, not the best coffee, um, <laughs> snacks, you know, listen, road America was mostly like, okay, when are we going to have uh, bratwurst? Are there going to be cheese curds? You know, so there's a little <laughs> bit of that planning going on. Of course. And then during the race, staying out of the way, being supportive when you can. And then, um, uh, making sure Simona's in, in the right headspace, making sure, and I will say this and not to underestimate, you know, what we did last year with the crew and what we're doing this year with the crew. Um, all of the women on the crew too, I want to always make sure that they're in the right headspace because it's a little bit easier now that we went through it. But last year we knew that we were this curiosity and we knew that there were extra people watching and Mm -hmm. I wanted to, I kept an eye on all of them uh, quietly. They didn't necessarily know I was keeping an eye on all of them, but, you know, just like trying to take stock of, is it getting to them? Are they, um, because again, if they make a mistake, you know, if you, if they make a mistake because of being distracted and they don't tighten a wheel tight enough, and then we release Simona into traffic at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, I mean, she's going 200 and, you know, 25 miles an hour or more. I mean, you I don't want to say you can't afford those mistakes. You can't make those mistakes. So you want to make sure everybody is, um, everybody has the tools to do their job correctly. Well, thank you. That was fascinating. That was very interesting to hear what the day is like. And and that does go into the the mental aspect of part, part of it. And all of that is so important to making sure everything literally and figuratively runs smoothly. So thank you for sharing that with us. Before I let you go, we have to do five fun facts. So every week we ask the same guests, the five, same five questions, okay. and we get five such different answers. So without further ado, five fun facts with Beth Peretta. Beth, what is your favorite moment in sports? When my team qualified for the Indy 500 in 2021. Fair. Can't argue with that one. What is your life motto? Um, the obvious one is to say, don't give up, but I think, uh, the more important one is be kind. Oh, it's such a very, very, I think that gets you further in life. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's not that hard. In fact, much easier to be kind than to not be kind. Yes. So. And respectfully, and the reason why be kind is so important too, is because life is, uh, is about your network and genuinely and the people that can help you. I should say the one other thing that I think is a, a, an even better life motto that I've gotten better about, ask for help, mm. ask for help. I think we're so used to feeling like asking for help is a sign of weakness, men and women. Um, no, ask for help. We're better together. 
you don't know everything. You can't do everything, but ask for help. Because if you ask for help, I think that's actually a, a position of strength. It's showing that oh, you have sure. vulnerability. So ask for help. The most successful people in the world know their strengths and surround themselves with people who make up for their weaknesses. Yes. So that is a, there's my own, there's my personal life model. No, that's a great point. Thank you. What is your go-to workout? Um, I have, I have started running, but I'm definitely more of like a walker and okay. yeah, yeah. I like, I just, because I love the, com- I mean, I'm, and I mean, I've, wa- you know, been a walker my whole life and, and meaning like, you know, been, I've lived in cities and stuff. So like meaning walking is just part of my routine. Um, but I find it the, I just love the, um, especially now, uh, you know, being able to put on a podcast and walk, like I just, mm-hmm. nothing I think makes me feel more detached from everything that I want to be detached from, but connected if, you, if, you know, what I mean, like connected to myself and detached from the, <laughs> the email ding. Yeah. So a hundred percent, it's that time for you. Yeah. You can, you know, put that, put everything away and take some time just to enjoy fresh air and a podcast and get exactly. some time for you. What is your go-to coffee order? Very boring black coffee. It's my thing. That's, you know what? I like it. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, a book every woman should read. Um, okay. So not to be, this is going to sound um, a little, I don't mean this to be like, take this in no ditch, but um, there's this really great book called The Body Keeps the Score. Okay. And it's a New York Times bestseller. If you go into like those Amazon shops, it's always in there for sale too, because it's like super, super well-regarded. It's So it's a, for any person who's ever gone through trauma, um, it's a fascinating read because it helps you understand kind of what goes on, what goes on in your brain. And, and in fairness, I mean, it might not be your own life experience, but you likely may sadly also know somebody who's gone through a traumatic situation and, and trauma has a much broader definition than we might think. Like, you know, it's very, you know, we might be very quick to think we know what that means, but this book, the body keeps the score. What I loved about it it helped me understand some ways of like the way my brain functions and other brains function. And it's funny because it's, you know, obviously it's not a business book. It's not like it's, it's not an inspirational book. It's, it's a different thing that, uh, after having a very difficult few years, I, you know, I lost my mom, I lost my dad, had some other things going on. And, um, that book maybe in a lot of ways made me, um, made me make me understand why certain things were difficult for me after going through those those life experiences so sometimes and maybe this is just the way my brain works once i was able to like figure out and have that little aha moment i think i got healthier after that because it, it was that whether it was corroborating something that i had a hunch about or educating me as to like what goes on in in your brain it, it kind of like lifted a weight off me. So it's, it's, yeah, it's really good. It's called the body keeps the score. And like I say, if, whether or not it's your own experience, I guarantee it still would be helpful because there's probably somebody in your world that has, you know, has, has had that experience. And so even as a loved one of somebody who's gone through it, um, it's, it's very valuable. Awesome. Thank you so much, Beth. It was really fun to talk to you today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And if you guys like what you heard, and I know you did, make sure to leave us a five-star review. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online, And with that, we'll talk to everybody next time. Bye, all
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.